of God and to feel the presence of God. It's, it's not that you have to just step out on faith and say, yes, he's here, but you can feel the presence of the Lord. Everybody feels the presence of the Lord differently, but make no mistake, when God shows up and stands beside you, moves on the inside of you, you absolutely know that it's him. I'm thankful for his presence today. Thank the Lord. I want to take just a moment to remind everybody, first of all, how glad we are to have all of our guests here today. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so very much for being in Grace Church with us here today. We welcome everyone here today. Those of you watching on Facebook Live, live stream, we're glad you're here today joining us through that wonderful, wonderful medium. I do want to remind everybody quickly that, Lord willing, this coming Wednesday night, I'll be starting uh, a series on prophecy with all the things that are going on in the Middle East. Just felt really compelled uh, to do that, and uh, we'll begin that this coming Wednesday night. So everybody show up and uh, bring somebody with you. Uh, I believe we're in the closing days of, of time as far as we know it now as the church age and what have you, and uh, I believe everybody needs to know that. More importantly, you need to make sure that your relationship with God is where it needs to be. Thank the Lord. So remember that for this coming Wednesday. It's our high honor today to have with us Brother Robert Martin. And since we scheduled, it feels like two or three years ago, uh, had been that long ago, but it feels like it. Uh, but I've been excited about this, uh, to have him come and minister to Grace Church. I can tell you that he loves God loves God's kingdom and he certainly loves God's people uh, has been uh, preaching literally all over the country and uh, God has certainly blessed his ministry and for that I am supremely thankful but we're honored today to have brother Robert Martin with us let's give him a welcome as he comes to minister to us today in the word of God let's give the Lord a great praise together what a great opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly is he to be praised. And I'm glad I'm with some people that are worshiping and praising the Lord. You can be seated and uh, what a beautiful, beautiful church in the presence of the Lord that is so real and present in the building. And I want to give honor to uh, Pastor Murphy and his family and the work that they are doing for the Lord in, in Central, doing a wonderful job, and have been for some time, and I thank God for them. I think you should give your leadership a great hand of appreciation, and thank God. Thank God for leaders who will lead you in the ways of God in the days of, of a great need of revival in this day, and as he spoke of uh, revelation and various things that are going on, we need to make our calling and our election sure. Make sure that our name is in the book. Make sure that we are, are right with God and, uh, and, and also dealing with the spiritual warfare that we're dealing with at the same time. 
Um, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for allowing me to be here. And I just want to take a few minutes to open my heart to you from the word of the Lord for a few minutes of your time. Uh, so I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts uh, chapter 20. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful presence of the Lord here. The singers, musicians did a wonderful job. So good to see the young people praising and worshiping the Lord as they have been and are doing. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. There are so many things pulling and tugging at the hearts and minds of our young people. And to see them up here just praising and magnifying God. I think we ought to give these young people a great hand. We, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. There's no better place to be than in the presence of God. In the book of Acts chapter 20, I want to begin reading at verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. That's what you call a long-winded preacher, ladies and gentlemen. I, I hope and pray that I am not that. As a matter of fact, just so you know, nobody has ever compared me to the Apostle Paul in any particular way, including this one. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. Everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus. Being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, we've got that already. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft. He was way up there. Fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Luke, who writes this, as well as the Gospel of Luke, uses terminology in Greek that shows us that indeed he did die. He wasn't knocked unconscious, but he died. But thank God... The man of God was there. The presence of God was there. Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, it's a long-winded preacher, ladies and gentlemen. Now, he did halt for a miracle. Thank God for that. He paused for a miracle. And then he went on preaching till early morning. Then he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted, which means they were greatly comforted because of what God had performed in this young man's life, a miracle of resurrection. I want to preach a few minutes on a good place to fall place to fall. Lord, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for this people, and I thank you for your presence. And I ask you that you'd speak to my heart, and as you'd speak to my heart, that you would amplify it through me into the hearts of this people. For this day, for this moment, the will of God would be done, and that you would somehow speak to us and move us ever closer to the heart of God. We need you, God. 
Bless this church. Bless this pastor. Bless this people. Grant them revival. Grant them the things that they pray and seek for. I pray in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you? Come on. Would you praise Him just a moment? Magnify the Lord just a moment. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I bless your name in this place. You may be seated. Some of you know about three and a half years ago, my middle son, Noah, at the age of 16, was playing basketball for Central Private right down the road, and they're playing a district game at Southern Lab. And I, I say this to make a point, so if you'll stay with me, you probably know that Central Private is primarily, predominantly a, a white uh, school, whereas Southern Lab is predominantly a black school. And I say that because there's a purpose for this story. And at halftime of that particular game, my 16-year-old boy who was playing in the game was in the locker room and someone came out to me where I was sitting with a few of our fans. We had a small enclave and, and that gym was full, of course, their fans and their family. And, and I was sitting at halftime in the bleacher and uh, in the bleachers and someone came up to me and at the base of the bleachers told me that something concerning Noah. I thought they said that he said Noah needed some water. So I said, well, I'll bring him some water. And then he said, no, he doesn't need water. He's, he's seizing. He's having seizures. And uh, so I, I jump up from my seat and sitting close to me was the father of another son on the team, on our team. And he was sitting there and he was a doctor, and he, he, when I left, he caught the drift that something was amiss, and he followed shortly thereafter, followed me into the locker room. And like, this is the gym, and the locker room was like the door right out, right there. And so I ran in there, and when I ran in there, my son, my 16-year-old son was on the, on the slab, and, and he was just, just lying there. And, and the coach began to tell us what happened. He said, we were, we were getting ready for the second half and, and uh, we were run, going over a play standing here and, and let me say this of course uh, we were getting beat pretty badly at halftime so whatever play he was drawing up probably wasn't going to work very well and uh, I, I, like, I like to say you know they, they our guys played beneath the rim they played above the rim so we were we were getting beat pretty soundly and uh, he said so we were going over a play and while we were standing there all of a sudden your son collapsed and when he collapsed, before he hit the floor, the team caught him. And when the team caught him, they laid him down, and then he went into seizure activity. When he was a little bitty boy, he had some seizure activity, and he had grown through that and over that and out of that, and, and we hadn't had any problem with that for some time. So I was thinking that we are going to have to go back to the doctor and deal with seizures again. But uh, unbeknownst to us, that was the, the least of the problem, and that was the least of the concern. Because we did not know that he was born with a condition that uh, he had. It's called, it's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a, a large, uh, thick heart. And it's something that he was born with. We didn't know that he had. And it's like a ticking time bomb, basically, that at any point in your life, you can have an episode. You can have an episode where you go into cardiac arrest and usually death. Uh, we found out, the cardiologist told us that the condition is 95% fatal. 
And the reason it's 95% fatal is because when you do have an episode, when you do have cardiac arrest, when you do have a heart attack, there's usually no one there to help you when you fall. And they fall on the field, they're running in a uh, uh, running or jogging, they might be lying in their bed, they might be sitting at a table, whatever. It's just, it's just there and it's just waiting. It doesn't even require exertion. At some point, at some point, there's going to be an episode. An episode that typically takes people on out into eternity because, again, 95% fatal because there's nobody there to help them when they fall. So my, my son was there. We didn't know. We didn't even know he had a heart attack at this point. And as they began to leave to start the second half, it was just myself and the doctor and Noah on the floor. And, and, and he said, he'll be okay. He comes out of seizures. They go limp like that. And, they, they go like, and, I, and I knew some of that. He said, what we'll do, we'll roll him over on his back, and then we'll, he'll be okay, and then we'll carry on. So I, I knelt down. I put my hand on his chest, and when I put my hand on his chest, I, I didn't feel anything, and then I, I looked into his face because he was looking the opposite direction, and I, I saw he had turned an ashen gray color, and I asked the doctor, I said, is he breathing, and he checked immediately, and he said, he's not breathing, and he rolled him over on his back, and he started CPR, he started working on my 16-year-old boy, he started working on him, he said, call 911, so I got up, and I ran out uh, of the locker room into the court area right here on the edge, and and I called 911. And then I said, is there anybody can help us, please? Can, can anybody help us? We need help. My, my son needs help in, in the locker room. Can anybody help? And, and then I went back in. And when I went back in, I could see the doctor. He was working frantically. He was sweating. And sweat was dripping off of him. And he was working on my boy. And then I knelt down. And I put my hands on him. And I, and I began to, to try to pray. I wanted to pray. I wanted to touch God. I've been in church since I was uh, 13. And that's, that's been at least five years ago. That's the truth. It's been at least five years ago. And uh, I've, I've seen God do great things in people. I've seen God work miracles. I've seen God do great things in people praying. But I'm, I'm telling you, at that moment, it was such a surreal episode. The moment in my life, I was trying to pray, and I couldn't pray. And I was, I was wanting to believe, but I couldn't believe. And all I could sense was death and fear. And I could see death upon my son. And the voices were telling me, this is the end. This is the end of his, his life. And all of these things that were going on in my life. And I wanted to pray. I tried to, but I, I couldn't. And I, I put my hand on him. And then a, a gentleman came in from Southern Lab. And he, he started helping the doctor do CPR. And then another gentleman came in for a couple of minutes. And he started helping do CPR as, as well. And they were switching back and forth. Then he left and went out of the building. And, or went out of the, uh, the locker room. And a few minutes later, that guy came back in with an, an AED, the defibrillating device. You know what I'm talking about. The, he came back in with that defibrillating device, and, and they took my son's shirt and cut it off and, and, and hooked that up. And I, again, I'm down here with my hands on him and uh, trying to believe, trying to pray. And, and uh, they, that man hooks him up with this, all this AED stuff, and they tell me to move my hand. I move my hand, and they shock my son, and I... I saw my son's body convulse and jump off of that slab. And when that happened, I, I lost it. And there was a couple of men that came and they dragged me out. and They brought me out to the corner here outside the door. And, and I was trying to go back in and they wouldn't let me back in. And, 
And by this time, it's so surreal and it's so chaotic. And all I can see and sense is death. And all I can see in people's faces as they're coming in and out, other people. It just seems like it's, it's the end of the story. This is, this, is, this is horrible. It's a terrible thing. And how, I, I don't know, I can't even really express, even by my, my terminologies right now, my vocabulary. It's just hard to express the feeling of that moment. Some of you may have been in a similar situation where it's just surreal and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to think, you don't know what to do. But I do know I was trying to get back in there and they wouldn't let me in there. And then uh, the coach for Southern Lab, a tall, stately gentleman, he came over to me where I was standing and he, and he put his arm around me and he said, listen to me, sir. Listen to me, sir. He said, this is what he said to me. He said, when I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, my dad said, son, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray, son, because one day you're going to need to know how to pray. And he told me, he said, he said, sir, he said, this is the day my dad trained me for. This is what he raised me for, to pray and to be able to pray. And he began to pray for me. And I said, don't pray for me. Pray for my son. And he turned his prayers and his attention to my son, praying for him through that door. And as he began to pray, uh, an amazing thing happened. There were about 20 or 25 ladies from Southern Lab that came, started coming out of the bleachers. Now understand, just a short while ago, they were dancing and gyrating and moving and clapping and hollering and screaming because they were beating us so profoundly and deeply. And there was no sympathy toward us as they were doing this to us. But now these same people, and I'm not talking about apostolic ladies. I don't think any of them were. Most of them were black Baptist ladies. But I'm telling you, they came out of that, those bleachers and they came over where that coach and I were standing and they circled in that area and they began to pray now let me, let me tell you something when you need prayer it doesn't matter what the, what the school says about prayer and it doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter race or creed it doesn't even matter religion at that point if somebody can pray and touch God please would you have somebody touch God and they began to pray. And I'm talking about they were lifting their hands and they began, they began, some of them began to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. They were praying over there for my son. And, and one of the ladies, one short lady, she came up to me and she said, she said, look at me, sir, look at me, look at me. And I, I couldn't, I was just, I was like phased out. I couldn't even, and so finally, I wouldn't look at her, so she grabbed me like this. And she said, look at me, look at me. Well, I couldn't help but look at her then. She held me like that, and she said, look at me. And she said this, she said, you listen to me. She said, now again, I'm, at that time I was a pastor, a preacher. I've been preaching a long time. But this lady, this random lady out there who earlier was, ah, 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 now she's getting my attention. And she says to me, listen to me, our God is a miracle working God. And they began to pray and they began to work and they began to do the things necessary. Now, now let, let, let me hurry. There's so many aspects of the story that's amazing. I don't have time to get into all of them. But I, I, I want you to know that, that through all the things that they did, through the AED and the prayer, and, and they finally arrive and take him to the emergency room. And we get to the emergency room. And when we bring him in, 
There was a lot of people waiting, and they, and they sedate him, and they get control of him. Prior to that, in the ambulance, he doesn't have control of his, of his hands or his, or his legs. He's just kind of flailing about, and he can't speak. Only other thing, every, once in a while, just a guttural sound, just blah, 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 blah. He, he can't talk. He can't speak. He, can't, he doesn't have any control. And the doctor said, he said, Mr. Martin, this is a serious situation. I've seen this before. And he said, it's very serious. He said, as a matter of fact, we had, to, we had to shock him three times just to get his pulse back. And he said, he was not breathing and his heart was not beating on his own for 15 to 20 minutes. And, and we worked on him and, and they shocked him. And, and, and we finally get there and the cardiologist, just to quickly summarize the story. Car- cardiologist comes in, he says to us, he pulls my wife and I to the back and he says, let me tell you something, I'm going to be real with you. I don't think he's going to make it. And if he does make it, he's going to be like in a vegetative state. You don't think he's going to make it. If he does, he's not going to be normal. He's not going to have control of his, of his hands, perhaps. He's not going to be able to speak or even speak clearly. And I found out later that that guttural sound that he was making, another doctor told me later, he said that guttural sound that he was making is, is a sign of, of anoxic brain injury. And what's happening is your brain is de- rapidly deteriorating. He said that sound was a sound of his brain deteriorating. And he said to me, that doctor, he said, he should have never got up from there. And he should have never, never looked you in the face again. And he should never have a normal life again. And they said, I don't think he's going to make it. Another cardiologist came and, and, and checked on him as well. And had three people that said the same thing. They gave us these negative reports. And by this time in the emergency room, it's at 9 o'clock at night. And I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, I promise you. 9 o'clock at night. And then we, we, we we're going on and... And every few minutes, I would go to the bed. I'd lean over, and I'd say, hey, no, I love you, son. And there's no, no response from him other than a guttural sound on occasion. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, and it going on the same story. 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going every few minutes just leaning down saying, I love you, son. 3 o'clock in the morning, I lean down, and I say, hey, no, I love you. And he said, you can hear what I said. He said, I love you, too. And I jumped up and I ran down the hall of that hospital at 3 in the morning. He spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he said something, he spoke. And and there he was, began to speak at 3 in the morning. By noon, the next day, nine hours later, the cardiologist comes in to check on my boy. There's a student from Central Private, his best friend that came to visit him. And, and when the doctor walked in the room, Noah and his friend were sitting up playing video game. You didn't hear what I'm saying. Now, he played me a video game. And let me tell you how good kids are. Even in that condition, he beat me. Those kids are amazing. And the cardiologist walks in and he sees him. And he looks at the bed, and he looks at him, and he looks at the chart, and he looks around. You can see he's stunned, and he walks to the back of the room, and he tells me, he said, let me tell you, I'm not a religious man, but I will tell you, it's a miracle that your boy is sitting up and doing what he's doing right now. It's a miracle that he's doing what he's doing. Another cardiologist came in, and it it was a Muslim lady. Muslim lady came in, and when she came in, she looked at him, and she went through the whole thing, looked at the charts and all of that, and she said this. She said, I don't know who you're talking to, but whoever you're talking to, keep talking to him because it's a miracle. And I said his name. 
is Jesus. He is a miracle working God. His name is Jesus. Thanks be unto the name of the Lord. In two days, he's out of the hospital. He went on, he had to get a defibrillator in his chest. The next year, as a senior, he graduated with honors. He's currently in his third year at LSU. If you looked at him, you wouldn't know anything was wrong with him. He does have problems at some point with AFib or things like that. But I'm telling you, I thank God every day when I wake up, including this day. I'll thank God tonight before I go to bed this night for what God did in my boy to allow him three and a half years ago to still be with us and to be vibrant and to be healthy and to and, and have no signs of all of that and any of that in his life. Thanks be unto our wonderful God. One last part of that story I want to tell you before I move on is this. The doctors told us, they said, with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, CPR will not save him. You have to have an AED. You have to have a defibrillating device hooked to him and shock him to get the heart back or he will not make it. He, he would not have survived. I told you when I went out and I asked for help, when I asked for help, there was a second guy who came in. And he, let, he came in a minute and he left and he came back later with AED. That guy's name is Coach Augustine. I think I gave you a picture if you, if you, have, that, if you have that picture. Here he is. Oh, that looks good, doesn't it? I know you're hungry. Hold on. Just hold on just a little while. I, I, again, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to be pre -pre preach till midnight. This guy. The middle school coach. He's not, he's not the varsity coach. <clears throat> he's not the, uh, he's not the uh, JV coach. Middle school coach. He took it upon himself to raise money to get an AED for the school because at that point, prior to that, a year or so before, they didn't have one in that gym. They didn't have one in the gym, and because of that, he said, I'm going to raise money because we need one in this gym. I don't know what happened. Somebody said it, it, it left or someone took it. I don't know. But they, anyway, the point is they didn't have one, and at this point they weren't in, were not investing in getting one. He took it upon himself. He said, I'm going to raise money. So at the games, he's got his little table here, and he's selling this stuff before the game at halftime and after the game. He's selling this stuff to raise money, to get money to buy an AED for the school. He raised his money over, over several months of time. And then after he's raised a, a certain amount of money, some in the athletic department come to him and say, hey, coach, you've got a lot of money, and your, your team's got these old horrible-looking uniforms. You need to take that money and buy new uniforms for your players. And he said, no, sir. I'm raising money because we need an AED in this gym. We need a defibrillating device in this gym. Y'all not going to buy one. I'm going to raise money. We're going to get one in here. And he raised the money to do this. And as he raised the money to get this AED, you've got to hear this story. This blows my mind. He goes and he buys the AED and he puts it in his office the day before. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The day before. He puts it in his office. Nobody even knows it's there but him. And it's only been there since yesterday. And he has an appointment the night of the game. He has an appointment to Alexandria. So he gets in his car and he starts heading toward Alexandria. 
because his team's not playing. Middle school's not playing. And he, as he's heading toward Alexandria, he gets a phone call that says, hey, coach, the meeting's been canceled. You can go back home. So he turns around to go home, and he calls his wife, and he says, he said, I'm on my way home. The meeting's canceled. But before I come home, I'm going to go by the gym, and I'm going to stop by the gym, and I'm going to see how the team's doing. He gets in, he drives up at just a few minutes before halftime, and he comes, he stands at the scores table. He's standing at the scores table at halftime when I come out of the room like a crazy man saying, can anybody help us? Can anybody help us? And he hears my call, and he comes in for a minute, and he goes and he gets the AD out of the room, and he comes and he hooks it up with my boy. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. God is able to orchestrate events. Now, now, now some people would think, this is unimportant, it's insignificant, doing this, that's not important. But I, I'm going to bring it to the church here in a moment. But let me go ahead and tell you this while this picture's up here. Anything that you do for the kingdom of God, anything you do in the church, whether standing up there smiling at people when they walk in the door, if you're up here singing, preaching, teaching, or if you're just hugging somebody's neck, if you're helping sell stuff, whatever you do in the house of God, you are helping set the platform for a miracle. And don't you ever think that what you're doing is insignificant. You young people praising and magnifying God, the things that you're doing, singing and magnifying and praising God, shaking people's hands, all of those things are setting the stage for a miracle from heaven. Come on, I'm telling you, we're going to experience revival. You're going to experience revival. There's going to be prodigals coming home. Thank God somebody paid the bill, kept the electricity on, opened the doors, did what you're doing so that when they come home, there's a place for them to come to. Don't you ever think that that little offering you're giving or the tithe that you're giving, don't you ever think that that's insignificant. You are making a difference mow a yard and get money you pay tithe on that whatever you do let me tell you you might say this just seems to be so little I remember one time I got a, a little tithing envelope from a little kid and it had like a quarter in it and I'm talking about a little bit of kid and he wrote a note on it he said this is all I've got you know what I kept that envelope I didn't keep everybody else's but I kept that one because he said this is all I've got and I want you to know that quarter that he gave was just as important as a person who gives thousands of dollars. Because God will take all of this stuff and set the stage for a miracle. So you keep doing the little things you do. Thank you, brother. You can remove the picture. Thank you for that. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Here's the thing I want you to understand for just, just a few minutes of your time. The reason my son is here is because when he fell, he fell in a good place. Now, now hear me. He could have he could have fallen any point. He could have been running down the road. I remember, I remember, and I felt so bad about it afterwards. He, he he's, he's so talented in so many ways. He tried so hard. He wanted to be the best he could. And he was he just he just couldn't run fast. I remember I remember telling him, hey, son, practice. You gotta, Daddy, you got to run faster. you got to run harder. Keep running. Keep running. And he'd be out in the yard, up and down, running up and down the street, running, trying to run fast. He couldn't. And I'm thinking, I was oblivious that he had a situation like that. I could have had him running down the road. He could have fallen in the middle of the road and died. He, whatever, at any point, he could have passed away. 
but thanks unto, be, unto God, as horrific as it was, and as, as, as terrible as it was for me and our family, as terrible as it was, as, as horrific as it was to see him there and see him shot and his body convulsing and, and him guttural sounds and all of this stuff that he was dealing with, as horrible as it was, I thank God that when he fell, he fell in a good place. He fell where there was people that would pray. He fell where there were was a doctor in the house. He fell where people had the right equipment. He fell where people had invested to be able to have what was needed. See, Eutychus, Eutychus is up there in the third rock. Paul's preaching. And I've heard some people say, hey, don't be like Eutychus. You need to stay awake in church. One time I was pastoring. Someone came at me after church and said, hey, pastor, I tried to stay up, but I had a long night. And you was preaching, and I fell asleep. You probably saw me nod over and fall asleep. And and I said, I'm sorry, I tried to stay awake. And I said, sir, that's quite all right, all right because sometimes I fall asleep while I'm preaching. <laughs> I said, don't you worry about it. You don't worry about it one bit. We, we try. We try our best to stay awake. I was flying one time with my, well, my wife, and, and she knows that when I get on the plane, I'm buck, buckling up and I'm falling asleep. Y'all leave me alone. I don't want your cracker. I don't want a little bit of water. I don't want, I want anything. I don't need you to tell me how to buckle my seatbelt. I've learned, I learned how to do that a long time ago. And if that little thing falls out and needs oxygen, I'll grab it then. I, okay, I got it. Just, just leave me alone. And I, I don't want to wake up until after we land. And then after we land, when everybody's getting their stuff, that's maybe, has, maybe it's shifted up there. I don't know all that. They're getting their stuff. As they're getting their stuff, then you can wake me up and I'll get off the plane. So on this particular day, Sure enough, my wife's sitting by me, and I'm, and I'm, and, and the, the plane lands, and I was still asleep, and and uh, so she nudges me, she wakes me up, and she says, uh, you know, you wake up now. Open my eyes, and I look, and there's three or four people in the aisle right there, with their cameras pointed at me, <laughs> and they got their cameras pointed at me, and I and I said, what what, what are they doing? And she said, well. You were snoring real loud, and he's kind of drooling and stuff dripping off your face, and, and they're over here. So there's probably a viral video of me sleeping on a plane somewhere. And I'm like, did it ever cross your mind possibly to wake me up? So we all have these different stories of, of falling asleep, and Eutychus, bless his heart. Now I've heard people try to preach about Eutychus as if, you don't need to be like you to stay awake. Well, I, my, what I wonder is, how did anybody stay awake? Man, you're preaching till midnight, and you're just getting started. I mean, you're going to have a guy die and resurrect, and you're still going to preach till in the morning. So my question is not, not why did he fall asleep, but why didn't everybody fall asleep? You know what I like to do as a young person? Eutychus, I like to say, thank you, Eutychus, for at least being there. Here's a young guy who was there. Hear me. At least he was there. Now, he tried to stay awake. He went up to the third loft to get an open window and try to get some air in here. For crying out loud, can, I, can somebody, I, I want to stay awake. I want to, you know, I've heard Paul's a good preacher and all that. and I've heard about him starting churches and all this stuff. And I'd like to hear what he's got to say. And he fought it and fought the best he could. But finally he fell asleep. I can't blame him. I'm not going to preach about poor Eutychus. In a negative way, I'm just gonna say he fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, he didn't only fall asleep, he fell from the third loft and he fell asleep and fell down and he fell to his death. He fell and he died. 
He's died. Paul's over here preaching. Thank God that at least through the peripheral vision, Paul could see something falling out of the sky. And Paul said, okay, I think I'll quit preaching here just for a minute. Y'all hold on. And he goes over here to where Eutychus is on dead. And he, he falls over on him, prays for him, no doubt, whatever he does. But God resurrects the boy and brings him back. And Paul said, that's good. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Here, let me preach a little while longer. So God worked this, this miracle for Eutychus. And then, and then after that, you, then, now understand, all we know about Eutychus is that he was a young person, fell asleep in church, died, and was resurrected. We don't know anything else about him before or after. But we do know his name. His name's Eutychus. Why in the world would Luke give us Eutychus's name? It's a weird name, first of all. And second, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, there's all kinds of people that had all kinds of miracles, and he didn't give their name. We don't even know the name of the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know the name of Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead. The, the paralyzed man, the demoniac. You would think that Luke, when he's writing this stuff, say, hey, I tell you what, y'all keep up that guy's name. I want to know what this demoniac name is. I want to know what this young girl who was raised from the dead. But he doesn't put any of their names. We don't have their names. But we get over an Acts, he writes, he says, and a guy, a young person falls down dead, and he says, I think I'm going to put his name in there. Why would you put Eutychus' name in it? Why would you do that to poor Eutychus where thousands of years later we're reading the book and we read about a young person by the name of Eutychus? Poor young people, all we talk about, you know, the bad things that happen. Eutychus fell asleep, fell dead. Poor old Eutychus. Let me tell you why I believe he put his name in there, because of what his name means. What Eutychus means is fortunate. I believe after this miracle happened and someone said, hey, this is Eutychus. Eutychus, your name means fortunate. You know what? You're very fortunate, young man. You're very fortunate because when you fell, you fell in a good place. You see, you could have fallen out. You could have fallen somewhere else. You could have fallen by yourself. Are you hearing me? You could have fallen where there's nobody to help you. But thank God at least you were in church and in the presence of God. And when you fell, you fell in a good place. You fell where there was a man of God in the house. You fell where there was preaching going on in the house. You fell where people were praying in the house. You fell where everybody had the right equipment to help you experience life. Eutychus, you're fortunate because when you fell, you fell in a good place. And I've come simply to tell you and to tell this church and to tell these young people and to tell you, you are in a good place. When you fall, when you fall, notice I didn't say if you fall. Because falling is something that happens to all of us. Everybody, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have had our problems and our situations and our fallings and our failures. Now you might not want to be transparent and acknowledge that that's fine, but within the secrecy of your own heart. In your life, your communication with God, you know that there's times that you fail to some degree. You may have fallen into hard times. We know what that is, don't we? Fallen into hard times. You may have fallen into a situation which you didn't have the necessary funds to pay your mortgage. And you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. You may have fallen into a bad sickness where doctor number one and doctor number two says you're not going to make it. 
But someone said, let's try what, see what Dr. Jesus has to say about this condition. And you bring it to the house of God. You may have fallen into marital problems. You may have fallen into problems with your children. You may have fallen into in a, in a host of different types of problems. But the truth of the matter is we have all fallen. We all know what the ground feels like. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We all know what it feels like. We all know what it feels like to fall at some point and to hurt. And it always hurts when you fall. It hurts when you fall. I said it hurts when you fall. You young people, listen to me just a moment. When you fall, you're so beautiful and you're so handsome sitting here worshiping God. But can I tell you, at some point, at some point, you're not going to get it just right. You're not going to say everything just right. You're not going to do everything just right. You're going to disappoint yourself, perhaps disappoint family, might disappoint whoever. At some point, you're not going to always get it just right. But can I tell you, when you fall, make sure you fall here. I've seen so many young people fall, and because of condemnation, because they think, I can't measure up to brother and sister so-and-so, and I can't be like them, and I've, and I've sinned, and, and then I, I thought I was over it, and then, oops, I did it again. They sinned again, they messed up again, and then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm condemned, and God doesn't love me, God doesn't, he doesn't love me anymore, I might as well quit going to church, I, might, I can't do it, I can't write, do it right. I'm telling you, just keep coming back, fall right here, fall right here, don't fall that way. If you fall into the world, there's a 100% chance of failure, but if you fall in the house of God, somebody's going to catch you before you hit the ground. Am I telling you, I'm telling you, there's a pastor, there's youth ministers, others in the house, that when you fall, they're going to catch you. Am I right, church? Are there some people in the building that's going to catch them when they fall? Is there somebody's going to help them? When they come back, we don't stand at the door and ask them a thousand questions. Where you been? Why did you do that? How did you do that? Why did you disappoint this? Why did you do that? Why, why, why? You know what we do? We just reach out and hold you and say, I'm so glad you're back. Glad you're back. And they'll catch you. Like that team caught my son. They caught him. And they had the equipment. There's the right things here. People praying, people worshiping, a pastor preaching the name of Jesus, and all the things are happening. That when you fall, this is where you fall. You don't fall out there, you fall in here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you fall, you fall in here. Years ago, I was, when I was pastoring, there was a 12-year-old girl who came up to the altar praying. And when she came up to the altar praying, she was sobbing. I say praying. I, she was really just she was just she was just a mess of herself. She was just, and this was during the Gothic phase. She had all this black, you know, the black fingernails and mascara and all all that stuff. And and there she was. She was just sobbing, 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 sobbing. And, and finally, I went up to her after we prayed to other, other people. She's still there. And I go up to this young girl and I, and I say to her. I said, Jesus loves you, baby. Let me help you. And she said, no, he doesn't. And I was, I was shocked. He doesn't love me. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. You don't understand. And she told me at the altar her story. She said, she said, she said my, my, my stepdad abused me physically, sexually. And I became pregnant. And then my mom found out about the story. My mom took up for him. She took me and had an abortion. And has tossed me aside. 
and said, here I am. He said, I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I'm a murderer. And I'm dirty. And nobody loves me. And God doesn't love me. And I took that girl and I embraced her. And that black mascara got over my white shirt. But I didn't care. And I began to try to speak life to her. I was trying to do CPR on somebody that fell. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I began to say to her, no, listen to me. Whatever happened to you, whatever brought you to this point, there's something in you that knows there's some hope right here. And I'm telling you, if you would just take a moment. I know you've repented. But let me, let me tell you, you are, you are not, you are not. Hear me, you are not what happened to you. 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 The grace of God is able to restore to the uttermost. And I began, I said, if you would just lift your hands, just try me, just try me. Lift your hand just for a moment and begin to call on Jesus. And that little girl lifted her hands and she started calling on Jesus. And just within a minute or two, she began to speak in a heavenly language. And she began to speak in tongues. She jumped up off of the floor and ran around the church. And she came back and she stood there and she said, can you baptize me? I said, we'll baptize you right now in the saving name of Jesus. Thank God when she fell, she fell in a good place. Young people, don't fall out there. Don't lean that way. Are you hearing me? Don't lean that way. When you fall, don't fall leaning toward the world. Fall leaning toward the church. Hear me. You lean this way. And when you fall, somebody's going to pick you up. Somebody's going to help you. Because we all know what falling feels like. Everybody has fallen from Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve all through the chronicles of history in the Bible and on. Everybody's fallen. Everybody has tasted depression, sin, sickness, disease. We all know what it feels like. And sometimes we try to put on our best face and act like. But every time you come into church, every time here, even today, I'm telling you, there's somebody dragged their self into the church today. And statistically speaking, can I tell you that there's at least one person in this building who at some point, maybe in the recent past, has even been at the point of depression to the point where they even became suicidal. But there was enough of something that was said or done in the past that said, let me make my way to the church house one more time. came back came back I'm about done I promise you I was I got to tell you this story this was just a, a couple months ago I was preaching in another state somewhere and just a beautiful church and a beautiful crowd beautiful young people worshiping and praising God and there was one girl she was actually the the, the, the preacher's daughter and she'd been in, in church her whole life she was 17 18 years old and she was singing in the chorale. She was teaching Sunday school. She was doing everything. All she's ever known was church. She's been to church her whole life. And she was birthed, and a few hours later, they had her on the pew. You know, that's what we do. She's raised in the church. And, and during altar service that day, this girl who's just been up here doing all this stuff, she's standing here in the altar area, and she's, she's praying, and she's crying. And so other people are there, and as we do, we went and we prayed for everybody and prayed, you know, God bless them and help them and 
whatever, and, and then people begin to filter out, and as we go through, the girl's still there. And I'm thinking, what could she, what possibly could be her problem? She's in church. She's, she's been in church her whole life. What could she possibly, what problem could she have? Finally, I humbled myself enough to go up and just talk to her. And I said, is there something that I can help you with? Is there, is there some, a prayer I can pray? Is there a prayer request? Is there something I can help you with? I'll be glad to help you if you, if you just tell me. And she started crying even more intently. And she said, she said, nobody here knows this. My dad, nobody in the church knows this. Nobody knows this about me. She said, but for the last two months, I've had such depression hit me and come upon me. I still try to sing and I still try to do all the stuff I do. She, she said, but I've been so depressed the last two months that even, and I'm ashamed to mention it, but even in the last couple of months, I've thought about taking my life, that I don't have any reason to live, and that I, I, I don't, and she began to listen to this voice. Come, I'm telling you, that voice will come to everybody. You're going to tell you you're insignificant and you're, nobody loves you and you're not important and all of this stuff and all these voices are coming to her. And I said, I want to pray with you, please, and I want you to hear me. You're not alone. God loves you, and that's a lie from the devil. I want you to hear the voice of God. I want you to listen to what God's trying to say to you through all this chaos and through all this confusion, all this pain, all this hurt. And began to talk to her. And finally, thank God, she lifted up her hand and she got a breakthrough, and, and she's doing well. And I've checked on her since then, and she's doing well. And I thank God for that. But can, but can I tell you something? You don't know. We don't know all the time what people are facing, what they're dealing with when they walk in the door. But I'm so glad, hear me, that that girl, when she fell, she fell this way. She could have taken that depression that could have taken her somewhere else, that God forbid, where she'd wind up. They could take this sin, it could take them into the, the world, into a harsh world where it's 100% fatal. But thank God for your faith. You fell on a good day. So if I see a young person praying in the altar, if I see a mom, a dad, if I see somebody praying and touching God, seeking God in the altar, I never take it for granted that their problem is on a scale of things insignificant because nothing is insignificant to anybody who's trying to touch God. And I want you to know, here's the thing. When you fall, make sure you fall in a good place. And I am telling you, this is a good place to fall. Stand with me, please. When you fall, fall in a good place. The truth of the matter is we are all Eutychuses. All of our names could be Eutychus. Because we're fortunate. How many people aren't in the house of God today? How many people are lost in injecting their system with drugs and living all types of devious lifestyles? All the stuff that people are doing everywhere, they're doing all this stuff. And some of them used to go to church used to go to church even some of our friends are, are prodigals and some of you even think of them as a point that they're beyond they're so far gone some of them lean toward agnosticism some of them even would tell you at this point that even maybe that they're atheist but at one point they were in the church at one point they were baptized in the name of Jesus at one point they had an experience with God but what happened was when they fell they fell in the wrong place harsh, cold, desolate world laughed at them as they took their last breath. We're an enemy of diabolical laughter of Satan today. Ha ha! You fail! Now the hordes of hell 
surround you and take you to your demise. I'm falling. We're falling. We've all fallen. I'm so glad that when I fell, I fell to the house of God. God, I don't know if I can make it through this. God, I, I know I repented. I told you I'd never do this again. But here I am again. Lord, I know I shouldn't be as depressed as I am. I know I shouldn't be dealing with what I'm dealing with, God. I, I know. But if you'll fall in his presence, you'll feel the arm of God upon you. You'll feel his embrace up to you. You'll feel the presence of God. When you fall, fall here. Everybody needs a little grace. You're appropriately named, you know that? Because everybody needs a little grace. So when you're in that fallen state, instead of turning that way, would you just turn back this way one more time? Come back. Fall on your knees. Because here, somebody will catch you. Somebody will pray for you. Somebody will preach to you. Somebody will resurrect you. There's, You know what we do? Every time we come to worship, we, people working on resurrecting you. People working on CPR. Make sure the right equipment is there. Hooked up. There are people breathing life into you. Breathing life into you. They're touching your heart. The Word is touching massaging your heart and the, bre the breath of God is breathing constantly into time what you're, what you're you don't even know how far gone you are you don't even know how far gone you are but the spirit of God comes upon you won't you lift your hands right now call on them all through the house would you just for a moment come on in the name of Jesus 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 Come on, come on, call on him, call him. If, if anybody, you just lay aside your pride for a minute. You say, that's me, I need help. I didn't care what anybody thought about me when I stepped out and said, I need help. It's not time for pretensions. It's not time for thinking we're better than we are. It's just time for a gut-wrenching, transparent honesty with God and say, God, I need God. I need God. I need God to help me. 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 I need God to speak life to me. I need God to bring life to me. I need God to help me. And I am telling you, He's here right now to do that for the express purpose. As a matter of fact, hear me, wherever you are, hear me. All this has been orchestrated for you. All the prayer, all the bills paid, electricity on, even hopefully to some degree in my invitation to be with you. And the word that you've received, can I tell you, God has orchestrated it all for you so that you would be in a place in a fallen state where life would begin to come back. I rebuke the devil that tells you you're not important. I rebuke the devil that says you can't be forgiven. I rebuke the enemy that says you can't make it. The enemy it says you might as well give up. It's not giving up time, it's looking up time. It's looking up time. 
this time to make sure that you've got your heart right. So as they began to pray and sing, the altars are open for anybody, young person, married couple, anybody, anybody that just wants to be honest with God just for a moment. I said, God, I need the help of God. I need the help of God. And let me tell you something. Don't keep these things hidden in the chambers of your heart. It's okay to talk to somebody and say, I need some help. To a brother, to a sister, to the pastor, to some ministry in the church. Say, I need somebody to help me. Can you help me? Can you please help me? Because I don't want to hear that you faded away, that you faded out. I want to hear that you prayed back in, that you prayed back in. Come on, call on the rest of the church. Why don't you come and we can gather around. People are praying. We can touch God together. Jesus, wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, mighty God.